This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are starting our eight-week-long horror celebration. Yes, that is correct. I did say eight weeks. So as you can guess, your host is very, very excited to get that started. I am also very excited because to kick things off, I have some great interviews for you. Uh, It's going to be presented in two parts. I recently went to the Colorado Festival of Horror, their first annual Colorado Festival of Horror here in Denver, Colorado, and I had so much fun. And just a big shout out to them. The organizers were amazing, made us feel so welcome. Uh, It was run very smoothly. And and I just, lots of great content. And I just can't wait to go back again next year. So shout out to them. While I was out there, I got the chance to sit down with five incredible artists and talk to them about their craft. And so these interviews are going to be presented in two different episodes. So for this first episode, I have three interviews for you. The first one um, is with Brian Bonsell, who you might know, he was a child actor. You might know him from like Family Ties and the horror movie he did called Mikey, where he played a very evil child. So you might know him from that. But he also left child acting and moved to Colorado and graduated high school in Boulder and started his career in music and he's been doing music ever since he has done some acting since then too as well but he's been in a lot of great punk rock bands so you'll hear him talk a lot about that and so I just had so much fun sitting down and talking with Brian so this is the first interview up and then I'll be back with a couple more interviews for you so enjoy I just want to ask you first uh-huh. about because I know you're here you're going to be screening your your movie mm-hmm. Mikey yep. and then talking about that so looking back on that 20 years later Um, what was it like, how did you approach that character as a child playing an evil child? (laughs) Yeah, well, I was, you know, I was eight and I had already done a lot of roles in my Mm -hmm. life. So I knew, you know, what was real and what was fake. Yeah. And because a lot of people were kind of upset with my mom for letting me do that, you know? We kind of got a lot of slack for it. Why would you let your kid do that? But, you know, I I had already done so many parts and I had done other... Uh, thriller type movies already and I just loved doing it it was so much fun and to prepare I I watched The Bad Seed uh, more than a few times and uh, and I definitely that was definitely the main movie I watched to try to form my own character uh, you know of this sweet and incredibly evil kid (laughs) (laughs) 
that's a great movie too. Yeah, that's, it really is. That's that's a that's a classic. Yeah, and did it, did it ever bother you though? Was there ever a point where it was kind of like a little bit too much going to that, or was it just a lot of fun? It it was to be honest, it was a lot of fun. I yeah. it, it always uh, I, I I always felt comfortable on the set and. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I had a lot of fun shooting it, being covered in, in fake blood, and, <laughs> and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Were you a fan of horror movies? I was. Yeah. I was. My sister is four years older, and we definitely uh, grew up watching uh, a lot of horror films and stuff, mm-hmm. you know. I, 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 uh, I always, you know, enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite one? I mean, I re- movies that stick out to me that I watched... Uh, with my sister and my dad growing up were like Serpent and the Rainbow. Oh, yeah. And I uh, really loved that mm-hmm. one. And as I got older, I, I, I really enjoy the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. And uh, we definitely watched Freddy a lot and the mm-hmm. Jason, you know, the, the normal epic horror movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I started watching horror movies when I was like five or six years old and my babysitter showed me Poltergeist oh, and then we The Shining. Those. Oh, yeah. And I had no idea it was The Shining until later because I would always picture the scene with the blood coming out of yeah, the yeah. elevator. And I'm like, too young to watch that probably. Yeah. But it's still, I mean, I have weird fears have because you, of what Have you me. gone to do the tour up at the Stanley? No, which is just insane that you I should, haven't done that. You should do it. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. It's on my bucket list of stuff I definitely should do. Yeah. And speaking of Colorado, because I know you left mm-hmm. acting and came into, lived in Boulder, mm-hmm. correct? That's yeah. correct, And then yeah. you've been in Colorado then pretty much ever since then? Or? I mean, um, pretty much ever since. I've moved yeah. back to L.A. a couple times, um, and, you know, I've, I've, I lived in Philly for a while, where mm-hmm. I have some family, and Delaware area, and, uh, and I even lived in Missouri for a little while. I went to military school there for a little while. So, oh, wow. so I've moved around a bit, but yeah. mostly I've, uh, I, I was in Boulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I went, to, I went to high school in Boulder, lived here and went to high Did school Did you go to Boulder. Boulder High? No, I went to September School. Okay, yeah. School. yeah, I know the September Arts School. Yeah, School. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, do you think that helped, though, that you left L.A. Um, later and then came up to Boulder? Do you think that helped that you graduated there instead of, like, staying in Los Angeles and that whole environment? You know, I think about that sometimes, and, and it was definitely a huge change for me because, uh, you know, moving from a big city to seven miles up in the mountains, you know, mm-hmm. in North Boulder, uh, was a huge change. But it really, it really grew on me. And Colorado definitely uh, became my second home pretty quick. Yeah. And uh, and and at this point, you know, with having toured and playing music and traveling all over the world, um, I always want to come back to Colorado. So I love it here. Yeah, that's why they call it the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, there. and it's <laughs> curse, curse of Chief Naiwa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, because <laughs> when I was little, because I grew up here, I was like, I want to leave Colorado, and I'm going to leave Colorado. Yeah. And then I left, and after a few years, I'm like, I want to go back to Colorado. I think that's a common feeling, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you're growing up. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I want to see what what else is out there. So. Exactly, exactly. But, Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and speaking of music, because I, on my podcast we talk about a lot of stuff, mainly from the female perspective, but mm-hmm. a lot about music, movies, TV, and stuff. But music, as I always say, is like, that's my first love. I think it's so essential to myself as a human being, and I'm sure that's what it is I can is agree like with that. Yeah. 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 Music is, uh, is everything to me. And, you know, around, I definitely grew up, uh, uh, you know, my my house growing up, my whole family was into music, mm-hmm. and you know Tom Petty was huge in our house, and Tracy Chapman, and 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 all that, and and uh, 
and when I uh, I you know I got I got into hair metal pretty young, mm -hmm. you know Skid Row and and uh, Slaughter and all those bands. And uh, once I found you know punk rock uh, uh, in the 90s, uh, 93, 94, I I uh, I fell in love with it and got pretty obsessed, and I'm still yeah. obsessed to this day. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, yeah yeah. Well, what is, it, <laughs> what is it about punk rock out of all the genres that speaks to you? The um, most I, I guess it's just the, the, the angst and the edge of it. And mm -hmm. uh, I just feel like, uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's, mo it, it's more of a state of mind than a genre of music. But uh, I, I just feel like punk rock can, can do anything and, and mm -hmm. get away with it in their music. Uh, and, uh, you know, they can, they can be angsty and angry uh, and, and have a positive message behind it. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's got a movement behind it. And I don't think, uh, I don't think a lot of genres have that. You know? That's very true. And, and uh, mm -hmm. there, there, it's just something else. When, when you go to a show and, and, and you see the unity and, and people think it's just a mosh pit of people fighting in there, but everybody picks each other up. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think it, you know, it, it applies to, uh, to life as well. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think there are other genres too that kind of I don't know, kind of build off of that. Like even like ska. I agree. Be like yeah, that. there's so many yeah. branches mm -hmm. off of it, and yeah. and uh, over the years, it's uh, it's 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 grown a lot. Even mm -hmm. though they say punk is dead. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Actually, I was going <laughs> to ask you, what do you think about punk today? Because I know some people think punk became a little bit too commercial. Like even back in the day, mm -hmm. Green Day, that, that yeah. became too pop. Yeah. Do you agree with that, or do you think there's still a lot of people underground? Doing well, this I stuff? think I like you. <laughs> I, it's 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 hard because you know Green Day started in the Bay Area. They mm -hmm. played, they paid their dues. They played dive bars. They they worked their way up. And uh, I think they deserve everything they have, and and um, I think they deserve to make, you know, radio songs that that may, you know, make make, make their way into into the ears mm -hmm. of a more casual listener as well. And uh, I I don't know. I think Green Day is awesome. I've always been a huge fan. Um, and uh, I I think someone who who's going to spend their time thinking about how much Green Day is a sellout, rather than just you know not listening at all if they don't like it, moving on to another band. Um, I don't know. I think it's a waste of time. And probably jealousy, too, yeah, in some respects. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and I well, think it's... Some people put so much energy into into that point that mm -hmm. they're, they're still giving their time and energy to that band. So, you know... That's true. There's That's still true. an obsession there of some sort if you hate them so much. <laughs> yeah, that you devote your energy to that. Yeah. Why devote your energy to something you hate instead yeah. of something you love or something that brings you joy? Exactly. Yeah, and I think part of it also is, with punk at least, is I think people are like, okay, if you're punk, then you can't have success. Yet, if you are trying to be successful as a musician, wouldn't you want that success and want them to... So I don't know if that's if you agree with that at all, but I think that might be where some of it well, comes I, from. Well, I, I think you know bands like you know the Sex Pistols mm -hmm. were you know they they were pretty rough. Sid Vicious was pretty rough. You know he he'd be up there bleeding on stage and yep. punching himself in the face. And I think you know that kind of set a backbone for what people thought punk was. But at that same time, you had the Clash and the mm -hmm. Ramones. And they weren't, you know, the Ramones weren't doing that violent side. Yeah. So, and and those are the first two punk bands, arguably. So it's, uh, I think it showed two sides of of where punk was headed. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, they intersected along the way, I guess, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then The Clash always had something to say, too. So great, I yeah. Mean, yeah. Yeah, Joe Strummer it, They was brought like, the political side, mm -hmm. you know, to it a lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which was important, which I think sometimes gets lost. Like you said, with the fact that people think it's just mosh pits and just people just being punks. Well, there's, <laughs> there's symbolism to it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, well, I want to know a little bit about your band that uh -huh. you're in right now. Just sort of if you want to just talk about what, what well, you are doing. Well, I've, I've had a bunch of bands over the years. Right now, I'm kind of just doing acoustic stuff. We, we've done a couple tours. Uh, Boot Jack and Bonds is, is my, my acoustic music, and, uh, and I'm a new dad, so oh. that, that is where my, you know, yeah. my focus is. Uh, and that's you know, so I'm not really playing in in full bands uh, mm -hmm. right now. But you know, I, I still have all the you know, all, all the bands I've had have always been good friends. So it's always there. Um, so you know, maybe there will be we'll, we'll record some more music in the future or such. But but for now, you know, just just playing acoustic music. We just did a, a, a an event for uh, Colorado Festival Horror at Outworld Brewery, uh, which was awesome and a great time. And uh, so we're just kind of doing doing stuff yeah. in that vein for yeah. the time being. And and my partner, who I I uh, play music with, he's a new dad too, and with a six month old <laughs> daughter. So so we're both in the same boat. And uh, when we practice, there's screaming babies in the same room. <laughs> so we have to stop mid song over and over. A different kind of interruption there yeah. than maybe. <laughs> well, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And did the pandemic at all? Because I know that's changed so much for so many people. So yeah. did that change how you approach music or how you approach life? I mean, I know now with you being a father, that probably changed it, of course. But did that kind of add on? Um, I mean, it, it was definitely a big change. Because recently I, I was, you know, a couple of years ago I was touring with uh, the Ataris a lot um, and playing guitar for them. And that's a band I was listening to for 20 years already. Mm -hmm. So it was just a dream come true to... To tour all over and play with them um, but then you know really fast I got married and and had a had a son and all that changed and then the pandemic happened yeah. and so you know we've been kind of stuck inside for a while I've been mm -hmm. you know trying to to find fun things to do with my son um, and now things have kind of opened up and then things closed but yeah. but uh, I, I you know uh, trying to keep life interesting even through the pandemic and and uh, definitely introducing him to, to all the instruments right away and, and trying to have fun with all that at home. That's awesome. And also introducing your son to music. Yeah. Because I think, yeah, yeah. He, 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 his favorite show right now is, is What's New Scooby-Doo. And the new What's New Scooby-Doo show is all punk rock music. Oh, really? On the soundtrack. So it's oh. all like pop punk, Less Than Jake, MXPX. Mm -hmm. uh, and Simple Plan does the theme song. So... It's a, wow. and, and it's his favorite show right now, so he's 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 oh, loving it. It's all he wants to watch. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> when, we, when we turn on the TV, yeah. That's really cool, though. That must make you proud and happy that yeah, you to awesome. share it's that with your son. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, are there any bands that you would recommend or that you uh, really love right now that maybe people haven't heard of as much? Um, I I think uh, the new the new Face to Face album is amazing, and it just came out today. And uh, I've only gotten one playthrough and, and the songs they released. And they mean a lot to me because they were the first punk show I ever went to. 
uh, when I was about 15 years old, and it was at the Glenn Miller Ballroom in Boulder at CU campus. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, you know, I went on to play a lot of shows there at uh, Club 156 that used to be there. Uh, so through my high school years and after, just played with tons of my you know, favorite bands and, and bands that I didn't even know were going to be my favorites later. So yeah. it's, it's it's pretty crazy, you know, Alkaline Trio and Big Wig and just a whole bunch of bands that um, I played with that I didn't realize, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to go on and play for many years and write great albums. So, uh, yeah, Face to Face, Banner Pilot is, is one of my favorite bands. Um, I think they're on, on kind of a hiatus because... One of their members plays in Green Day sometimes. Oh, okay. So I, I, I think that's part of the reason that they've been on a hiatus, but I hear they're working on new music. Um, so yeah, there's a couple bands that, that I really love a lot. and There's so many more. I mean, I could just go on forever. Well, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I've got this whole long, huge list that yeah. I could just recommend. Well, that's awesome. And, and I know music is your, your focus now, but is there ever, is there a part of you that misses acting at all or ever thinks about yeah, I mean, I I definitely have good memories. I had a mm -hmm. I had a really fun childhood. Uh, you hear some horror stories from yeah. other child actors, but I didn't I didn't have that drama. I had a lot of fun um, with the stuff I did. So so definitely there there is definitely some missing it there. Mm -hmm. You know, I've I've been lucky enough to do some uh, little short front uh, short short films with with uh, friends and groovy. Mm -hmm. Uh, we did uh, Slossages, which we watched yesterday here and talked about a bit, which was really cool to revisit that after some years and commemorate him. And and I I uh, done some other little cameos, so still you know kinda, still there, still there. <laughs> but but definitely uh, I, I I know that this next chapter of my life is is about my son and my mm -hmm. wife and. And, and family, so whatever else comes is a plus, but that's what I'm focused on. Well, that's that's awesome, really, to, to put that, because I know that, that can't, that's not always the case in any field, but yeah, yeah, and putting that, and putting that into perspective, and yeah. yeah, yeah, and who knows, maybe your son will follow in your footsteps. Maybe, that, that <laughs> you know, and people have asked me that, is mm -hmm. he going to be an actor, and I said, well, if he wants to be, if he, you know, yeah, if he wants yeah. to go into the theater program at at whatever school he's going mm -hmm. to, or if he shows interest, you know, he's allowed to do whatever he wants. Yeah, yeah, or music. Yeah, you know, or music. The music. Music's gonna be a given. He's gonna. Yeah. Well, you know, whether <laughs> he wants to, you know, try to make that a profession. That's, but you know, he's gonna, he's mm -hmm. gonna play. I know he's gonna love it because he he already does. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's awesome, really. Yeah, and right. if he doesn't find something else he wants to do, like draw all mm -hmm. day or whatever, then he can do that too. <laughs> yeah, or be a stockbroker. No, yeah. <laughs> hey, if that's what he wants. <laughs> if that hey it might be I, his passion. I don't. <laughs> I don't know if stockbroker is many in my family, but maybe there is. I do have a big family. <laughs> yeah, maybe there is one out there that yeah. you're not. Yeah, yeah, and then your son will meet him, and then it'll be like, oh, that's what I've always dreamed of doing. Maybe. <laughs> Well, great. Wonderful. Well, th thank you so much. And I just think it's awesome to, I love talking to someone who's a musician because we haven't had very many on my podcast. So it's great because music is just like, oh, it's just well, mutual everything. admiration then oh. because I'm the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, oh, I get to go see Violent Femmes here. Awesome. Not to, they're coming back here in like in October and I'm just so With excited. With Flying Molly yes. and me first in the Gimme Gimmies. Oh, I didn't know there was going to 
Then One of my best friends, Mike Woods, mm-hmm. he's the guitar tech on that tour right now. Oh, so really? he's been sending me pictures oh, awesome. of the stage and cool stuff. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah, because I've seen them probably more than any other band. I've never seen Violent Femmes. <laughs> They're fun. They're fun. They're a them. lot of fun in concert. Yeah. I've yeah. seen Me First and Flog and Molly, but I, w- I would like to see Violent Femmes. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Yep. Great. Well, just one last quick thing mm-hmm. um, is just, I know you already talked about some of your favorite bands and some of your... Um, and some bands now too. But uh-huh. what was probably what's probably your biggest influence? I don't know if there is one band that's your biggest influence or. Um, I mean, I, '90s '90s skate punk is is my biggest influence. Uh, punk rock from the '90s is my favorite music. Lagwagon, No Effects, Strung Out, No Use for a Name, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of bands on Fat Records, and uh, I. I Mostly any propaganda, mostly any band on there, uh, I've j- I just I fell in love with in, in eighth grade. Yeah. It changed my whole perception of music, and uh, and it, it made me realize uh, that I could do this too, and that I, I just I just felt like I related to it so much. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's strange, and 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 it's never died for me. It's only grown. So, I uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a lifelong obsession yeah. at this point. Yeah, and 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 obviously the Ataris too, and and then, you know, and ending up getting to to play guitar for them and and uh, tour around and play Russia and just crazy oh, places wow. was just a you know awesome dream come true. I hope I hope to get up get back out there with them um, sometime again. You know, maybe when my son's in school or when I feel comfortable leaving. It's just yeah. it's hard to you know to think about being gone nine months out of the year right now because he's two and I'm a stay-at-home dad with him and mm-hmm. and even coming here for the weekend my wife's sending me videos you know Aww. where's dad dad and then just Aww. yeah I bet that's hard <laughs> it's, it's hard breaking it's hard but then, but then you know she's like well you want me to try to bring him and I'll be like he'll he'll probably have a meltdown in the first <laughs> Uh-huh. Ter- first five minutes. Ter- terrible twos. Oh, yeah. They call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, they do. I like to just trade screaming fans for screaming kids. Yeah. I think that's just the hilarious part. <laughs> just a bunch of screaming kids. You could have that for your next show. Just a bunch of kids just screaming. That's an album cover right there. That's I, the title. That is. The next album. You're right. That, that is. That is. That is. But you have to be careful because you know the Nirvana thing. With the oh kids. yeah. Uh, yeah. I, think okay. I saw one. Uh, well, Some, I meant like a group. Of somebody yeah. photoshopped it where they just took him out, mm-hmm. and it's just the dollar bill. Yeah, it's I like saw they that. should just change him all to that if you want to pull some stuff like that, <laughs> because you know he he, he shared He's over the years. Mm-hmm. Over the years, he shared his own revisions. Well, of, like every like yep. ten years, he doesn't do. He does. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. He does. So he's just he's just trying to. He wants the money. He wants the payout. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and the money. He must need the money really badly, and someone just kind of whispered in his ear and went, this is what you can do to get the money or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're totally right. That's how it happens. Hey, man, you should just sue him. <laughs> just sue him. They, they showed you naked when you were a baby, and you're on a cover. Just sue him, man. They violated your, your personal you could, space. You could make that decision. If you've been wronged, call 1-800. Yeah, no, there, there you go. That's probably yeah. how it went down. It probably They're did. They were sitting in a car Seriously. filled with smoke, yeah. like mm-hmm. somewhere, you know. And then and it he happened. was like, ding, light bulb yep. went off in his head, and he was like, I'm doing that. 
Well, thank you so much. It's thank been you, so great Aaron. talking to yeah. you and meeting you. Thanks for having and, me. Yeah, yeah. And I look forward to just hearing more what you have to offer and give cool. and everything. So well, thank anybody you can so much. Put my name into Bandcamp and uh, all you know, all the music I've made over the years. Well, most of it is mm -hmm. is all on there. Okay. Some of that, some of that stuff's on like all the major streaming services too. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And so is that the best place for people to find yeah, your stuff? Yeah, Bandcamp. I, I, okay. I love Bandcamp and okay. I'm all about it. Okay, great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Really, it was so nice to meet you and I really appreciate you. You too. Thanks so much for having thank me. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Brian. It was so much fun to talk about music with you because as everybody knows, music is my first love and I loved being able to talk about that with, with um, a musician and also a fellow lover of music as well. So that was great. Next up, I was honored to sit down with Lorraine Landon, who is an actress. Um, she is also a gold medal lyricist, so we talk about that as well. She has been working in the industry for, for a long time now. She's probably, you know, one of the things you probably best know her from is like Maniac Cop, the second Maniac Cop. But she's done a lot of other things as well. Um, and she goes over, you know, it's just a very entertaining interview. Uh, we kind of Talked about a lot of things, went on some tangents, um, but she's she's an entertaining person to talk to, to speak with. So I think you'll enjoy this interview a lot. And I also loved the fact that she uh, loves pit bulls. And as everybody knows, that's a big thing for mine. So I'm going to throw in an NBSL in here as well. So thank you again, Lorraine. Are you having a fun weekend so far? Absolutely having a terrible time. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. I'm meeting so many incredible people. And I'm just... Uh, I'm just in awe of how many fans there are of the films I've been in. Mm -hmm. they, qu they quote, they come up to the table and they quote, and I don't even rem remember what movie they're uh, quoting from, right? Because, you know, I've been in 40 films, so. It's wonderful that people come up and actually appreciate your work. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's just a wonderful experience to be here um, I was here a few years ago. I did Terror Tales. I don't know if you saw it, mm -hmm. but I did Terror Tales uh, for Jimmy Lee Combs out there. Um, I call him my killer director. Um, and uh, I was here about, I think, a week. And it was about three, four years ago. And they screened it last night. So, mm -hmm. And everybody seemed to love it. They just said they loved the film. So I'm really grateful. Um, I'm just really grateful to be here. Well, does that give you a new appreciation for your work then, with the fans coming up, and especially with them quoting? Actually, yes, because uh, when you're working in a, a, a movie and a lot of films that I've been blessed to be in, you you um, you just forget about uh, the dialogue. You forget a lot of the scenes, kind of, because it's been you know quite a while for some of these films, such mm -hmm. as all the Marvels that I. I did uh, start with Peter Falk for MGM, Robert Aldrich's Last Picture, and that's the movie that really, um, you know, got me out there, uh, got me on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. It was on The Best of Carson twice, actually. Oh, you can wow. see it on the, on the uh, internet, I think. I know you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you did all of your own stunts in that one, right? Yes, I did all yeah. my own stunts. We, that was a, a prerequisite to doing the movie was that we had to do our own stunts, and mm -hmm. Kathleen Turner was one of them, um, and also uh, Shara Denise, Peter Fox's wife, was one of the 2,000 girls, because there were 2,000 girls, and out of the 2,000 girls, uh, the director initially, Robert Aldrich, was looking to hire 
um, wrestlers, they could train to act, but they couldn't, so they went the uh, antithesis route. They got um, uh, actors and trained us to wrestle, which was uh, six months in the training, and then the, oh, and wow. the, then the actor strike hit. So, but I continued wrestling even though the actor strike uh, was in force, and we were not allowed to show up on uh, on the set mm -hmm. or the wrestling match where we were training. But Vicki Frederick and I went every single day, no matter what. Um, we were determined. You know, we have something that I call in, in in order to make it in this industry. You have to have two things to make it in this industry. And I told everybody, well, listen, you have to have passion and persistence or perseverance, passion, perseverance. You can't have one and not have the other. I meet so many people in LA mm -hmm. that are actors. Oh, I'm an actor, I'm an actor. I said, well, are you going to school? Are you reading books? No, but I'm an actor. It's in my blood. And I said, well, well that's nice. What does that mean? <laughs> that's nice about the passion, but uh, you know, are you, you, where's the perseverance? Yeah. Oh, somebody will find me, right? I'm working here as a waiter, which is fine. Uh, we all worked as waiters at some point in our life, or waitresses. And, you know, they always say, well, I'm an actor, so I'm going to get discovered here, right? But in the mm -hmm. meantime, they're not going to school. They're not reading books. Um, they're not watching films, especially the old movies with James Cagney, Marlon Brando, uh, Rita Hayworth. Um, to me, those are the truly great movies of all. Um, not the CGI movies today, because I, I do not like CGI at all. And I'm very uh, upfront about that. I love old movies um, or movies that have a story, yeah. and especially independent films, because independent films, the uh, directors um, always give you the license to create, you know, to add, to mm -hmm. improvise. And when I say improvise, I don't mean bring, make up my own more dialogue. I mean bring something to the table, because in real life, you know, um, we're always doing something in, uh, while we're talking. You know, we're not just like yeah. what you're doing now. You're scratching your neck, right? I'm holding my coffee, picking up my coffee. There's nothing more boring to me than watching uh, people on camera and all their, they're just talking heads, right? Yeah. So. What's that old show, don't tell kind of thing, where you, you're showing it, not just telling the right, audience exactly. what they want to yes, hear. Mm -hmm. Yes, Yeah, yeah. So the audience, also I think it's part of that is also treating your audience like they're smart and you're not like kind of, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, you can pick up some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. can telegraph what's going on. Like, I always say the best performances are the ones where you look in the eyes and you can see the character there. So you can see their emotions, what they're going through, without a word of dialogue. That's what Marlon Brando used to always tell me. Uh, look in the eyes, watch the eyes of people. Yeah. Great actors, they all have the eyes of a madman. Marlon Brando, who was like my father, because I, wow. I lived with his son Christian Brando for many, many years. And Marlon would always say, um, when it came to acting, he hated acting, first of all, mm -hmm. hated it, and couldn't stand the industry and the people in it. He just, he just didn't like it. Um, I have some great stories about Marlon Brando, but I'm not going to go in the, into the, <laughs> into it because it's about me, not him. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's not give the spotlight to him. It's about me. Yeah, who is he anyway? <laughs> Most people haven't even heard from him, heard of him. I can't believe how many Isn't people. He really? Well, what is it like as, as a woman in the industry, especially if you work in like horror or anything like that? Has it been uh, more difficult or to be taken seriously or do you find you get pigeonholed at all? 
Not at all. No, I've done comedies, drama. Mm -hmm. Did all the marbles yeah. was a comedy. Uh, I the jury was a drama. Uh, Airplane two was a comedy. Uh, Sky, which is on Netflix right now, I got a fabulous review. Uh, thank God from the Hollywood Reporter, and that's a comedy, uh, comedy drama. Mm -hmm. um, so I've done the full spe spectrum. I, I think I've only done four horror movies in my life, actually. Yeah. But it's fun doing horror. You know, it's like a roller coaster ride, and um, you know, it depends on the director as well, and who, who are generally the writers as well. But I always sit down with the directors always, and and tell them what I feel uh, I could bring to the table. Because I don't just show up on the set and, and say, here I am, here you are, here we are. Let's just... Ro yeah, yeah, you take it seriously because it's your craft. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. You have to. But you also have to have fun when you're doing it mm -hmm. as well. Um, I think the most fun I've had laughing uh, are in horror movies, actually. Like with Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell had the most brilliant sense of humor. And every time we would film a scene from Maniac Cop 1 or 2... He would make me laugh, right? He'd make these faces, these rubbery faces, <laughs> or he'd uh, come behind you and whoa! You know, or, but he had the most incredible sense of humor, and um, you know, working working in horror is fun because mm -hmm. um, it's like a roller coaster ride. You know, the horror films where you, I, I still like the old, old, old horror films, right? And I think that I think that the older the horror movie, the better, like Frankenstein and Dracula and um, all the great uh, black and white mm -hmm. films, right? Those those are my favorite horror films. Great. So what is it that attracts you to a role? Like if you're offered a role, what, what are you looking for? What's Well, I have to make sure there's nudity in it first. <laughs> Number <Huzzah>! one. <laughs> Number one, nudity. <laughs> if it's not nudity, I won't do it. I'm joking. Are you kidding mm. No, I don't do I don't do nudity. I think I did nudity in one film, yeah. and um, that was all the marbles, and we had to do it uh, covered in mud in the mud in a mud bath mm -hmm. mud wrestling scene, and we kept covering ourselves up like this, right? And they struck the set that night, right? It was like a twenty-five thousand dollars set, and the director saw the dailies the next day, and he said, "Vicky, Loreen, because we didn't, right? We were we were wrestling like this." Hanging yeah. over, leaning over, right, and having the mud cover us. So they had to rebuild the. So they struck the set the next day. They built the set again, twenty-five thousand dollars, and we had to, you know, show our boobs. But when you see the movie, you don't really. Still, thank God, you don't see anything. So I don't know why they had to rebuild the damn set, darn, darn set. Are your kids listening? Well, you were also our lyricist, right? Yes, you I am. You're like an, a gold medal lyricist. I won 17 I trophies. Yeah. Uh, oh, from that's the, so uh, amazing. Uh, Telly Awards, Davy Awards, um, um, yeah, for world gold medal. For um, my roommate and I did a campaign years ago, not that many years ago, and it was for the uh, LAMTA, uh, LACMTA, uh, light rail train safety. So I wrote all the lyrics for all the commercials that were on television. Um, and they extrapolated the 13 set of lyrics that I wrote into uh, four or five, and then I got a call from New York. I thought it was a joke. They said that you won the world gold medal. Wow. I couldn't believe it. And then, I, then the Davy Awards start coming in, the Tully Awards, and um, I just couldn't believe it. Um, and it was all about light, light rail train safety, like... Uh, 
for instance, one of them, we were in a tunnel, and at the time, kids were playing in the tunnels and yeah. doing graffiti all over the walls and in the tunnels and getting killed. So one of the lyrics that I wrote was, um, into the tunnel with our spray paint cans, add a little more graffiti, yeah, we know it's banned. Looks like Tahiti, lost my train of thought. Two trains are coming, nah, we won't get caught. Um, anyway, it goes on and on and on. But uh, won, the, won the World Gold Medal for that and uh, all the other lyrics. Yeah, I, lo I love writing lyrics. What is it about that, that that you love so much, or how do you approach that when you're writing lyrics, or do you still do that? Um, not so much anymore. Um, I, I'm pretty much uh, doing acting. Mm -hmm. I used to write a lot of scripts with Larry Cohen, who was my mentor and my best friend for 40 years, and he passed away a couple of years ago, and I never got over his loss. I never will. But um, we wrote uh, a couple of films together. I wrote the treatment for the movie Cellular. I don't know if you ever heard of yeah. Cellular. It was number two at the box office. Mm -hmm. And I wrote the treatment for it on a napkin at Musso and Frank's and, oh, wow. and with Larry at lunch. And from that, he wrote the feature film based on what I had written on a napkin, because that's what we had in common. I've always loved writers, because writers are the backbone of any, any good script. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't care who the actors are. It's always, to me, uh, the writers who never get enough credit. Never. They yeah. just don't get enough credit. And I know that Larry was known for making horror films, but he really did suspense thrillers, and his idol was Alfred Hitchcock. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he wrote Phone Booth. And yeah, that, that's a good bestseller. movie. Bestseller. Some mm -hmm. brilliant, fabulous movies because his mind was so expansive and, um, you know, he's the most brilliant human being I ever met in my life and the nicest, by the way. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the, the writing because if you don't have that, then you're not going to have this. You're no. not going to have anything. It's <laughs> no, not it's at all. It's the structure that everything's built upon. Right. You have the yeah. setup, confrontation, mm -hmm. the resolution, and the script. And, um, Larry and I used to write. We wrote a comic book together as well called The Praying Mantis. I came up with the idea. We took it to Stan Lee, and Stan Lee loved the idea. Him and Gil Champion loved the idea. And then um, uh, I told them I had an idea using the, uh, uh, the carbon fiber legs, you know, the carbon fiber legs that Oscar Pistoria uh, did. Um, but I brought that the whole concept of the praying mantis to him, and they both thought it was fabulous. They didn't care about any anything else that Larry said. They All they wanted to hear was the praying mantis. And then uh, I told him about the carbon fiber legs uh, of this character jumping from building to building, the praying mantis, who's by day is a priest, and at night he becomes the praying mantis. It's a play on word, P-R-E-I-N-G, but he was a priest, praying mantis. Yeah. So, um, we wrote a comic book, and we only made one um, because he passed away. That was a really great period of my life where I, I, I had the blessing to work uh, with Larry. Um, and people don't know how funny he was. Um, they just don't, don't know. But I can tell you from knowing him 40 years, he was incontrovertibly the funniest human being I ever met in my life and the most luminous, the smartest. Next to Angel oh. over here. <laughs> you guys are Facebook Live on William Landon's. And if they have any questions, too. <laughs> if you have any questions, I'll be 
be happy to make some up. Mark said he would love to hear some of those brand new stories one day. Sure. Um, for instance, I'll tell you one a great one, okay? We were going up to uh, uh, see Christian Brando at St. Uh, Louis, Louis Obispo uh, Men's Colony. And Marlon and I would drive up there all the time, once a month, to go see Christian, yeah? One of the first times we went, drove up there to San Luis Obispo, uh, he got really hungry because Marlon was hungry a lot. And so he said, pull off here. Let's get off here. And he was driving. We got off the road, and he saw this little Mexican restaurant. And there were two or three. It was up, up by Solvang on the way to see Christian in prison, eh? So he gets off. we get off the freeway, and there's two or three different restaurants, and he looks and he sees a gigantic toilet upside down in front of one of the restaurants. And he says, this is where I want to go. And I said, fine, you know, because it was, I didn't care. So we walk inside and he says, now, uh, vanilla, he always called me vanilla. Uh, vanilla, watch what's gonna happen now. I said, what's gonna happen, Marlon? And he said, uh, it's gonna be double time. Everything's gonna be double time. Watch what happens. These people are fucking nuts. So we go inside the restaurant. <laughs> I know, that's a really good brando. <laughs> and we sit down and they come up and they ask, you know, uh, for g give us menus. And he has on sunglasses and he has a hat on. And he took off his sunglasses and the people uh, that took our order said, Yes, you would like. <laughs> and he's like, what's, the, what's the matter with you? And they said, oh. So it was all double time. All of a sudden, everybody's, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and he said, please stop. And I just want a fucking hamburger. And so the guy goes away, and the girl comes over, and the managers come over. Oh, Mr. Brando, Mr. And he said, oh, my name is Marlon, and just give me my fucking sandwich, and I'll be on my way. <laughs> so this happened. This truly happened. I'm yeah. sorry to take up your whole day, but. No, it's great. It's funny. He was right. <laughs> double time. He said double time. Mm -hmm. Everything when I go anywhere is double time. I didn't understand what he meant until I sat down with him and these people came up eh, um, to take the order. And they just talked to us like we're normal people because we are. But then they, they saw him. <gasps> yeah. They're gasping for air and backing away like, you know, was it a seven coming or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it's that starstruck thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, just just, laughing so hard oh, and then the manager you. came over at the end and he says, Oh, Mr. Brando, the dinners, the lunches on us, we're not, you don't have to pay us. Uh, give me the fucking check and I'll be on my way. I want to pay the check. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. Just give me some ice cream and I'll go. It's because he loved ice cream. Too. <laughs> so. Yeah, and your Brando is absolutely amazing. He used that to say I do it better Marlon than him. Yeah, you do. Oh, I don't. <laughs> yes, you do. That was so good. It. No way. I don't do it good Marlon Brando. <laughs> Glad I got to hear that and hear that story. Thanks for sharing that story, too. Well, I know you said you're so you're not writing at all anymore then right now? You're kind of just, just focused on acting? No, I, I uh, every periodically I... Uh, Go back to some scripts that I wrote myself. Mm -hmm. One is called that. Uh, uh, is is called Dog Pen, and I <clears throat> pardon me. I rescue pit bulls for twenty years. Oh, oh yeah. No 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 no. I I, love pit everybody bulls. should rescue. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I um. 
I watched this movie about uh, this guy who's a loser who works in a prison, and his name's Ramsey Lord, R. Lord. <laughs> Ramsey Lord, R. Lord. And he's always being tricked by the inmates, right? And one day they steal his prize dog that he can't stand. He has to take it with him to the prison because because the uh, neighbors, uh, especially his next door neighbor, Minestein, she's 800 pounds, and she has fingernails out here. She's, it's, it, he, they steal his dog, and they want 25 dogs if they, if, uh, for him to get, to get back his dog, right? Butchie, yeah. Butchie. It's a French bulldog, so they steal his dog. They won't give his dog back, and the whole movie is him trying to get this little dog back because his wife was divorcing him. She's run off with the prison chaplain, Lester the Molester. So, yeah, so um, it, 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 the uh, thematic esc uh, rescue uh, theme, thematic theme is, uh, echo is rescue, don't breed for greed. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a huge proponent of rescuing uh, dogs and cats. Yeah. And I always have been and I always will be. Yeah, yeah, and pit bulls are so, so misunderstood still to this day. They're terribly misunderstood. It's a breed that is very loyal mm -hmm. to the owner. And that's what people don't understand about pit bulls is that they are the most loyal of all yes. breeds, right? Most protective. And when they go to the door and they try to tear down the front door or the screen when the mailman comes every day, here's the thing about dogs that people don't understand. When somebody comes to your door, Dogs do not know that there's a lock on the door. Mm -hmm. They just think somebody's at the door going to come in and kill their master. Does that make sense? Yes. They don't, they don't know there's a, a, a lock on the front mm -hmm. door. So my, my pit bulls go insane, right? Um, and it's because they don't know there's a lock. You know, I'll open the door, close the door, right? But animals don't know even though I think animals are a lot smarter than humans. I Except agree. for Angel. No, I agree. I think, I think we could learn a lot from dogs. If we were more like dogs, I think this world would be a better place, for sure. Do you have a Definitely. dog? Definitely. Well, my dog, he was an American um, bulldog pit oh, bull wow. mix. Oh, wow. And he unfortunately passed away a oh, year so ago. Sorry. Um, thank I'm you. so sorry. Yeah, and he had, because he had her terrible skin issues that he had had that weren't treated before I adopted him and then kept trying to treat him, and then he just was getting worse. But he was, like, the by far the sweetest dog I've ever known. Mm -hmm. I could take him anywhere, and he would be fine. Were and people he, afraid of him when they saw him? Some were. I did have some people that would, like, cross the street if we were walking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had, you know, I had one person, her dog wanted to meet, my dog Schroeder, wanted to meet him re really badly, and then the woman, like, pulled her dog away and said, that's not our kind of dog. I'm like, well, you're missing out. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, people were mostly mm -hmm. okay, but, you know, there were some people that would cross the street. But he's was the sweetest, sweetest dog I've ever, ever known. Well, wonderful. Well, I just want to know really quickly, because I know you mentioned that the script is so important and you really think writers uh -huh. deserve more credit. Uh -huh. What is it in a script that you look for beyond just the character, like with the story, what really would resonate with you or attract you? I look to see if there's a, a if, if the character has three dimensions to it, you know? Mm -hmm. if, it, if it's just a talking head, like I said earlier, I'm not, I'm not interested. I get scripts sent to me all the time, but you know, and I, it's hard to tell a writer this is awful, you know? 
when they're being they're kind enough to offer you a role, but you know it's just um, it's got to have some meat to it. Uh, it's got to have a be a full-bodied, three-dimensional character, or something that I can I feel I feel I hope that I can I can work with mm -hmm. and um, bring really bring it to life. So um, yeah, it's got to be a good script. I mean, I don't care what actors are in the movie ever. I don't care. I've worked with some really big actors, and like Michael Moriarty and Robert Davi and Peter Falk and just uh, you know Armand Asante. And um, it's the script. It really is the script. Because if you don't have that, then you're not going to have anything. If you don't have a good no, script. No, not at all. No, and it probably is not as fun to do anyway. No. No matter what, no matter who you're working with, if you don't have that to really dive into. That's true. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Or is there anything you want to talk about that's upcoming that you or that you can talk about? Oh yeah, about yeah, yeah. Know? I've got a couple of films coming out. Uh, well, one is a documentary uh, that's called uh, Master, um, uh, Masters of the Grind. Yeah, Masters of the Grind. And there's 180 characters in it. It's coming out. Uh, I think in October. It's uh, going to be uh, film, Cannes Film Festival. And awesome. I got to be in that. It's 180 directors, writers, producers in that. And an Amityville Cop, which is a spoof on Maniac Cop, and I—it's so funny because I play in the film in Maniac Cop. You know, I play a a, a cop, um, but in in um, in in this movie, Amityville Cop, directed by Gregory Hatnaka, um, who's a a wonderful director, I play um, uh, a, 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 I don't know how you call it. Um, a cursed, um, like a cursed character, or someone that has a curse on them, or yeah, yeah. more. Um, she's just evil, the personification of ah, evil. Okay. Uh, she's a cult leader, like a religious very zealot, maybe. Yes, a religious yeah. zealot. Thank you. Very, very manipulative, and and I got to have a lot of fun with the role. I just wasn't evil, you know. I teased and taunted uh, my victim, which was uh, the maniac cop character. So I did that. I have a staycation coming out that Angela here, Angel, has produced. <laughs> um, and uh, what else? Uh, Clown Motel. Well, I won't go into that. Um, it's a crime <laughs> against cinema. But you can say that. Oh, oh, I'm doing a, oh, I'm doing a film when I go back home called uh, Sorrow's Ways coming out at the end of this year. I did that in uh, Missouri just before COVID hit mm -hmm. or a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, but I have a film coming out uh, that I'm shooting when I get back. I'm real excited about it called A Woman in the Room, and it's by David Maccabee, who directed me in Night Terrors. And what I love about this role is it's basically only two people in the movie, pretty much. There's small, uh, smaller parts, but it's a relationship between a, a mother and a son, and she's dying of a terminal illness, yeah? And gravely, gravely ill, and it's, and, and it's her descent into... Uh, death, um, but uh, the hospital's trying to keep her alive. Uh, her son's trying to keep her alive, desperate to keep her alive. He's madly in love with his mother, and she loves him to death. But she could see how it's impacting him, how it, how her suffering and her itching and and um, her illness uh, is impacting, uh, affecting him psychologically, and she can't stand it anymore. And the debate is really, uh, in my estimation, is uh, it's the debate of, am I keeping you alive for you, or am I keeping you alive for me? 
and ultimately, uh, I'm not going to tell you what happens, but it's it's got a great twist to it. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to do that. But I'll spend I'll be spending most of my time in bed. But you know, there's going to be all kinds of different l layers and levels yeah. uh, to play because sh at first she's kind of okay, she's feeling okay, but then it it, it gets worse and worse and worse, and you know, it, it's to the point where. Um, she wants to die. She has to die, uh, and then um, he doesn't want her to die. And he's losing his mind. And he—he's an alcoholic. He's a drug addict, and it's all because of her condition um, that has affected him so much. So, and uh, I think a lot of people can relate. Mm -hmm. uh, taking care of their parents or taking care of loved ones, and um, it's just the debate about watching someone that you love with your heart and soul suffering. And so am I keeping you alive for you or am I keeping you alive for me? And I just love that uh, thematic echo about the script. That's what drew me to it because um, uh, it just, it's just a fabulous role. I'm really excited to play it. But that one sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Seriously, that was, that was a great over? conversation. You're so interesting. Thank you for watching or listening, whoever's out there, anybody. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Really, I appreciate thank that. You thank you so much. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much again, Lorraine, for taking that time to sit down and talk with me. I really, really appreciate it. And for our final interview for this episode, for this first part, I love this guy. I sat down with Jimmy Lee Combs, who is a director, producer, writer. He's also done some acting he's done pretty much everything you can think of um and he actually directed lorraine landon in um terror tales recently so it was but it was, we sat down we talked about horror and the writing process and what inspires you and um independent film versus big budget we talked a little bit about that and he's just he's just a really really awesome guy so i think you'll really enjoy this interview thank you what drew you to the horror genre in general? What was oh, yeah, kind of absolutely. Um, definitely just, just going back like so many of us growing up, mm -hmm. um, watching so many of, of these films that define the horror genre. You know, your, your classics like um, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, um, to the more, you know, especially B-movie B types like with Sleepaway Camp. Um, and you know those those always left an impression on me. Films like The The Exorcist, yeah. um, shows like Tales from the Crypt, you know, on H HBO. There was also the Hammer horror films, Tales from the Crypt, that I was also a big fan mm -hmm. of. That you know that was before Tales from the Crypt, the TV show. There's no relation, but but anyways, and it, and it was interesting at at a young age, like second third grade. Mm -hmm. um, you know, learning to write and, 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 and things like that and being able to kind of incorporate my love for horror even at that young age into my stories and things like that, you know, in, in school. And, um, and so as I got older, 
I, of course, got really fascinated with, you know, how are films made, and, you know, it starts with the, the script writing process, so I learned, I started learning that process, and um, would bought, I bought a, a DVD workshop by Sid Field, he's like a renowned sc screenwriting teacher, and, you know, learned that craft, and, you know, I also started getting fascinating with acting, so I was taking acting classes, and, um, you know, Little did I know at that time, I would really want to start going into making my own films because I originally wanted to like do acting and, and writing. And then it, it didn't take long before I really just started falling in love with the behind the scenes stuff and how a film gets made. And so, yeah, you know, I do student projects um, and, and work on those. And then I got to a point where I'm like, all right, you know, I got a story. I want to start my own like production company, Heart and Fire Productions. This was about 2006, 2007, and you know make make stories that are that are personal to to me. And so I, what's what's funny funny is it really started off making like kind of dramatic type of short films and things like that that were were also great venting outlets for me um, and things I was going through at, at the time and, and putting that into the film into the film world and having people watch them and, and relating to them was, 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 was really cool to see like what I've been through, other people have been through. But then as time went on, you know, I'm like, I really want to get back into my horror roots. And so, yeah, and then really got into um, making horror, horror films and like I'm still doing now. Yeah. Awesome. And especially if you're writing them and then you get to produce them, then you get mm -hmm. to direct them, you've got a lot more control because writers notorious that in the industry it's kind of like okay give us the script and then if you're not any other part of it you're kind of shut out of the rest of the process so was that very important to you that you were able to produce and direct your material so that you had a lot of say over what happened to it yeah absolutely because I mean you hit the nail on the head when you can make all of that happen for for yourself you can determine okay I'm, I'm writing this I know I want to produce it I want to direct it and I don't want to, you know, budge on this or budge on that. I want to keep my vision with this intact. Whereas, you know, as screenwriters, if you sell your script, like you've said, I mean, that's that's kind of it. It's out of your control for the most part at that point. You know, oftentimes the big studios, you know, they'll they'll either include the author or the screenwriter a lot in the process and the rewrites and things like that, or they will change it all up and bring in multiple writers and you'll you'll see that so many times you'll see screenwriters you know i think quentin tarantino is a good example like with true romance you know how yeah. kind of butchered his his script got when it when it came to be filming but you know it was already sold and and bought you know so you gotta you just gotta ride that that fine line and i think you know when you're writing something as a writer you know, just go into it with that mindset. Okay, am I going to sell this with that intention of, you know, a bigger studio picking it up and, it, and it's okay if it's going to get butchered or rewritten or stray from my vision or if it's something so personal to you that you're just like, no, I don't want anybody, you know, mm -hmm. touching this. And it can be a very, like, invasive, you know, process when something's so personal to you. I, I remember... Um, I was, I was, I had, I was, when I first started writing, there was, a, there was a filmmaker and it was at the Colorado Film School 
and you know I wanted his his guidance and and whatnot in in screenwriting and so I met up with him and he was looking at something that I wrote and just from page one all the way to the end it was just like crossing this out and taking that out and doing this and it was like you know it was just and, it's, and, and I was a little more naive and, and young and being younger at that point with my writing that maybe some of that advice was good but it was just it was just so humiliating getting so much of my personal stuff just cut and butchered from somebody else's perspective um you know again but you know to your point whereas if you're just gonna take in full control from the start then yes you have that that creative freedom to be like i'm gonna keep this in no matter what anybody else says I'm not going to cut this. Yeah, I'm not going to cut this, yeah. not going to cut that. Yeah, because writing is a very, very, I, I write too, so I know it's a very personal mm -hmm. thing, and you're always putting a piece of yourself on the page. So then it is hard when you do have that, when you put it in front of somebody and they're like butchering it, like, yes. almost like butchering a part of your soul. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's like, oh you just didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, if I could just sit down and explain it to you, maybe you would. Absolutely. And, and the like sad it. thing is, 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 is in certain points, they may be right, like from like an audience's perspective or an outside perspective. And that's where you always want to try and find that balance of, you know, being open to critical, um, or I should say constructive, there's the word, constructive criticism, um, and really take it for that. Because when you apply it, it, it can it can make a big difference, you know, especially when you know, it comes kind of to the masses or the audiences or who's going to end up watching it. But you know, you as the artist, it's 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 ultimately you're you're you got to decide. Okay, this I I can't budge on this, or okay, I can rewrite this. And it's very and your films are very independent too. Yes, you're an independent filmmaker. So I am assuming, even though with budget, it does constrict it. But does it allow you a lot more artistic freedom then to be able to express stuff that you might not be able to express like with a big budget? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because when you know when you're writing stuff, you know they, they you always hear, you know, write what you know. Mm -hmm. Don't write big ass explosions and chase scenes and things like that that are going to drive up your budget. So you kind of know when you're writing what is going to be manageable, especially when you've made stuff before, and if you're going to be self-funding it or whatnot. You know, you kind of just know when you're writing what yeah. what you'll end up being able to execute and be be okay with um you know but there's some scripts and i've i've written ones like these and i and i have one now it's, it's called spirit reckoning and this has kind of been my baby for many years now but it's one of those ones that's that's written in a way it's 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 an action horror western kind of film and it just it needs that that bigger budget to really give it justice so, you know, it, it's one of the, it's just kind of continued to be on the back burner. You know, I'll be like, okay, this is my next project, Spirit Reckoning, and I, I do this all low budget, and then I look at it, and I try and execute it, and I'm like, shit, I just, I need that budget. Yeah. You know, so they're, they're, that's, and then you start writing other stuff, you know. So, like, that, that's a good example with, with Enter Terror Tales. You know, I wanted to really shoot Spirit Reckoning after my first feature film, which was Hans Crippleton talked to the Hans, a really funny, politically incorrect zombies versus hillbillies kind of kind of film. But after that, you know, I'm ready to make my next film. I'm thinking it's going to be Spirit Reckoning, but the logistics of it are just not not coming together. So I'm like, okay, what what else can I make that's manageable? And that's where, like, where Terror Tales comes in. And I wrote it as a horror anthology because I knew 
you know, I can film it as segments, you know, because yeah. there's like four, three different stories and a wraparound story, and I can manageably um, film each one kind of at, at my leisure and, and at the budget I needed to, all while, you know, filming a web series that I was, that I was directing for season one called, called Bored, of, Bored as Hell. And that was that was fun too, you know, juggling these these different projects and you know doing a web series at the same time as another feature film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome, wonderful. Well, how do you approach the writing process? Like, what inspires you to write something like like Terror Tales or anything that you've written? Like, is there something like you have a germ of an idea? Like, I know when I'm writing, like, music inspires everything I write. Like, I'll hear a song That's and I'll cool. just kind of picture a story in my head. So, is there something that kind of inspires you whenever you're approaching something? Yeah, very much stuff I've. I've watched over the years and that's why it's really good as a filmmaker to and a lot of us do we'll just go on a binge of the genre so we use Tales as an example it's a horror anthology so I'm near and dear to that genre because I love creep show like that was that's like so many of us that's like one of that's like the best horror anthology out there creep show one and two and so you know I always wanted to do an anthology and have it kind of be a love letter to those so then it it's great to watch everything in that in that horror anthology genre and see okay what was done what can i try and do new what can i pay homage to that people are going to get um and 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 you know while still um, making it my own and the most personal story in terror tales and so many people and it's everybody's favorite understandably is the radical video segment because we recreated a video store from from scratch and it was really recapturing what we we all are missing now is the blockbuster videos the the mom and pop video shops and that's where it really gets personal to me because um you know in the early 2000s and whatnot and then when i started getting getting into this you know blockbusters were still around and you could still get that it's not until you know more recent years when all those mom and pops have closed shop and you, you can't really go and get that experience anymore and that's when it really started resonating and hitting home for me and inspiration for me it's like i, I need to you know express this and get this on on camera some way so i'm like let's 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 do this for a terror tale segment and and recreate the 80s and the video stores and that um you know everything we remember from yeah. that so it's it's so with a lot of that in me is like taking personal experiences um and other things too just what you're inspired from in, in the moment you know for for the wraparound story for terror tells um i remember i was i was on vacation with my ex-wife we were in minnesota and we were in line at a, at a culver's drive through and in front of us is this truck and it has a trailer attached a tailor a trailer attached to the back of it you know for storage and whatnot and i'm just like looking at it and i'm like what if that dude has his family locked up in the back of there <laughs> you know i'm like getting all twisted <laughs> getting all twisted and shit and to my ex-wife's defense she kind of humored me with it and she's like whoa yeah and then so like that kind of always that that like stuck with me yeah. so you know for the for the wraparound story of terror tales that was kind of the inspiration for it. You know, there's this um, this crazy guy who's escaped from a mental institution and he preys on families that are traveling and, um, you know, he abducts them. 
And so in, in the wraparound story, um, the driver abducts a family. And so th he, he has the husband riding shotgun with him while his wife and daughter are in the cargo trailer um, stashed away. And he has it rigged up to where he, at any moment with a switch in the front of the car, he can gas this husband's family if he doesn't do what he tells him to do. And it's just this whole amusing thing to him. So, um, yeah, so it was cool. It, it's, it, it's cool how things like that. Yeah, yeah it's, well, it's cool how, thing, how things like that. And then it just ties into, you know, my writing style of, like, enjoying writing more of the psychological horrors, you know, mm -hmm. things that people can relate to, like, oh, shit, what if that was really my family? You know, like, the things that could happen. Yeah. Like, real-life horrors are really scary. They are. They really yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing about horror that I think some people miss that aren't fans of the genre is that it actually has a lot to say about life and humanity, I think even more so than most other genres. And you can put in a lot of stuff, like I've also called it like the punk rock genre, just because yeah. it is kind of like that outside of it, but it also just you know pushes the buttons, but also has a lot to say, and that's why when people say, oh, horror's not political, I'm like, no, it really is. It says <laughs> like some stuff that other filmmakers are afraid to say, I think. Oh, absolutely. So you could totally make a statement. And, and mm -hmm. George Romero is, is a prime example oh, yeah. of that kind of filmmaker and making those social commentaries mm -hmm. in your film that other people are too afraid to and that you can get away with because it is in a horror medium. And, you know, it's, it's a little more exaggerated, whereas if you put that same piece into, like, a drama, mm -hmm. you know, you may be ridiculed more for it so it, it is really cool how you can how you can do that with the horror genre i agree yeah yeah that's very very true um and i'm wondering since we're a podcast that's focused on female the female perspective yeah, absolutely. and when you're a woman and you're a fan of horror it's still you still run into that thing of people are like oh that's not a genre for women women don't like horror even though you'll see like statistically that more women do and I mean I remember just being out at the Atlanta Women in Horror Film Festival mm -hmm. a couple of years ago and it was kind of that same kind of feeling because it was all these female filmmakers and people were talking like it wasn't going to be as um, intense or as horrific I guess so I don't know how do you approach like having women in your film or how you represent women in film and especially in a medium that sometimes gets criticized for the way that females are presented Absolutely. You know, what's, what's cool with this is women have, have carved out a huge part in horror cinema. And what I mean of that is, is simply the Scream Queens mm -hmm. and the Final Girls. Horror has made women to be, out, to be badasses, which, which, which is a good thing. They are surviving these um, men killers and um, and outsmarting them and things like that. And I think it has been a really an empowering platform um, for women. And that's one thing that's really cool with, with Terror Tales. I know I keep mentioning it, but we have so many iconic actresses of horror. Lorreen Landon from Maniac Cop, Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp. You know, these are, these are women. Uh, Helen Udy from My Bloody Valentine, the old school one. Uh, Lynn Lowry, David Cronenberg, Shivers. You know, these are all women who have, who have made their, their impact on, on horror cinema and have, and have shown, you know, it's not just a, a man's, you yeah. know, forum or, or things like that. Um, and, that's, and, and that's really cool. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, that's the thing is I think there are a lot of very empowering roles for women. I, but for some reason, it's, it's more in the people that are fans of the genre, not so much people that make the movies. I think it's people that are kind of watching it. They sometimes still look at women who are fans of it like, I don't know, like, you 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 watch that? Really? You're going to watch that? I'm like, I've been watching horror since I was like six years old when my babysitter showed me, you know, Poltergeist. And right. Shining and stuff, which I probably shouldn't have been watching, but it was, you know, it immediately drew me in and was something that, um, you know, it was nice to be able to see when you would watch, especially the Nightmare on Elm Street series, I think, more than anything, but when you would watch those women defeating evil and being smart and yeah. being the last to survive, it's empowering for for women, for sure. But depending. I mean, there have been ones that aren't, but... but No, it, it, it is, you know, and it's, it's one of those things, too, and you got to, you know, decipher things as as a moviegoer and we'll use the the ghostbusters remake as an example because it was all female cast and you get a lot of people who are huffy that it's mm-hmm. that it's all women this time around and it's like okay are you pissed because it's women and not men in these roles um and it's actually a, a funny film and, it, and it's a good and it's a great film or you know or on the other side it, it is it maybe it is a legit crappy film whether it was men or, or women in the role but it's like there's there's always going to be those ones that are um you know judging something um in in fairly just because there's a female in the role versus you know whether there was a, a male yeah. in, in in the role you know the ghostbusters afterlife it's you know it's being received a lot more positively but now the big thing with this one it's like okay it's stranger things you know because it's mm-hmm. like the kids in it um yeah, so I mean, I don't know. It's 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 an interesting it's an interesting aspect. It is. It is. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that we've discussed a lot on my show. Is that and also harmful tropes and stuff like that. But I don't know. I think of the horror genre as a lot, even though it's hard as a fan sometimes. But I think as far as like the films themselves can be a lot more empowering than other films. Like even romantic comedies, I think, are not as empowering for women necessarily than horror can be just because you've got a lot of like you know the woman's all about the love interest and all about the guy and all about getting the guy oh, yeah and, 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 yeah. and well it's refreshing too you know we've had dime a dozen you know horror films with dudes in it and mm-hmm. then you know you get and and things that are received positively like the the evil dead remake yeah. and that had you know the female heroine final girl mm-hmm. and she's just getting all bloody as shit and the chainsaw and everything at, at the end and, and you know is the is the heroine of of that um so it, it is great when it when it is received positively um and, and people are accepting of that mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah definitely well what can you tell us i know you're you're trying to get that dream project off the ground so is there any movement then to get it or to get spirit reckoning off the route or anything like that yeah. is there anything you can say about yeah that? so absolutely you know with 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 that project and what's what's interesting with you know the pandemic now and, and mm-hmm. covid rather than me trying to rush into another production and get something made and and dealing with the, you know the covid insurance and expenses with that and the testings etc cetera, etc cetera, you know i i decided at that point um, to utilize this time to my screenwriting craft. Yeah. And I was able to crank out three scripts during this you know, past year, year and a half now, whatever we're creeping up on. And so with that, 
I've been able to do what a lot of producers do is they'll they'll create what they call like a package mm -hmm. and, and a slate of films. So, you know, my three scripts and then another project um, from a filmmaker I know are with a, a financing company. And so, you know, they have their relationships and they're gonna, you know, pitch it to their, their partners. And if they can secure like the distributor and, and other things that need to be put in place for them to lend money against the project and, and give it the funding, um, you know, would, would be really exciting. And this is an avenue that could very well give these projects the budgets, you know, they deserve that I'm trying to get. But, you know, as, as a plan B, um, if, if that don't work out, there is another script that I have written. written. It's not a horror. It's, it's an action crime thriller type of film, very much in the vein of like a, like a training day with Denzel Washington and, or an older film in 91 called Rush with Jason Patrick oh, that, that dealt with you know, drugs and so things good. like that. So good. But it's one I know I could probably realistically, like with the money I have, mm -hmm. go out there and, and, and shoot because, you know, uh, so many filmmakers will, will fall into this cycle. And I'm kind of in it right now where you're trying to raise the funding and, and, and get it going. And if things aren't, you know, taking off, then it's like, okay, I can fall back on my, on my indie roots here and, and, and shoot guerrilla style. Yeah. And, and that's what I would do with this script. And so... That's most likely what will happen while trying to raise these, these budgets for these other scripts. I have that one script that I can just, you know, say fuck it and go out mm -hmm. there and, and, and get it shot. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Seriously, it's been really interesting. and I really look forward to seeing what happens. And I hope you get your dream project off the ground eventually. I hope you get to make it because it sounds like that's what you're... Hopefully, I know you keep putting it on the back burner, the spirit reckoning one. So yeah, I hope absolutely. That that, that that's happen. that's the one. So <laughs> I yeah I I appreciate that. Yeah, and it'll it'll be really cool. You know, you look at some of the horror films, like like Psycho Goreman, mm -hmm. Turbo Kid, that have really taken off. And you know, Spirit Reckoning, I know in my heart of hearts is is one of those films that would like hit and and strike its core. So yeah, I'm excited to get that when that when that time comes. Well, fingers crossed for you. Yes. Seriously. Well, thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking with me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Jimmy, for sitting down and talking with me. It was such a pleasure. I just loved sitting down with each and every one of them. So I really hope everyone enjoyed those interviews. So thank you again to Brian, Lorraine, and Jimmy uh, for taking the time to talk with us and for coming out to the first annual Colorado Festival of Horror. It was great meeting you, and it was such a great experience. And on our next episode, we're going to continue our interviews with two other amazing, amazing artists, amazing creative people. Uh, first up, we'll have Brink Stevens, who is a scream queen, who is known for Slumber Party Massacre, Personal Demons, um, Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, and so much more. And she also, you know, used to be studying to be a marine biologist, and she's incredibly smart and so sweet and so generous and kind. And I just, I just loved sitting down with her and talking with her. I could have talked with her for hours and hours and hours. So I think everybody will really, really enjoy that conversation. And I say it on there, but I'm going to say it again. If you ever get a chance to see Brink in any convention, I mean, any of these people, I do want to say that, but if you ever get the chance to see Brink at a convention, I highly recommend going because you will definitely learn something. Um, she's just such a generous, generous spirit and generous person and I just really adored her 
And then I also got a chance for all my American Horror Story friends out there, because I know there are a lot of them because that is one of our most popular episodes. So you'll want to listen up because I also got to sit down with concept artist Xander Smith, who he's also done a lot of other work as well, some visual effects, worked in art department, but he has worked on American Horror Story. He helped design some amazing, amazing stuff for that show, including um, a very memorable demon from Hotel. So we talk about that a lot in there. We talk about other things as well. And he's just a really, really great person who does some amazing work. Please, even before the episode, go check him out on Instagram and go check his website out and you'll see some of the great 3D models he has on there and some other great, fantastic work he is doing. So yeah, so I just am excited to bring those to you next week. Remember, you can follow me on my personal Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any questions, any feedback, any show notes, if you would like to be a potential guest on a future episode, feel free to reach out to us at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. And remember, on our next episode, I will have those other two interviews for you with Brink Stevens and Xander Smith. So I look forward to dropping those on Friday. And remember uh, to tune in to our live horror trivia events as well. Our next one is going to be this Saturday, September 18th at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We are going to be doing werewolves. And spoiler alert, I know I've been kind of elaborate in my costumes for each one of these for the past two for vampires and zombies, but I'm going to be lazy for this one. So my costume is not going to be as elaborate, but please tune in because I'm sure Susie and Paula, who are going to be on there with me for that one, I'm sure they'll be in great costumes and I'm hoping our contestants will be as well. So remember, signups have closed for that, but they're still so much fun to watch. So keep a lookout for that. And until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate.